0: All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're a little bit early, but not too early. Not bad. And uh, how many of you read 18 and 19? I'm not seeing all hands up. Did everybody read it? All right, 18 and 19. So um, what kind of questions did you guys have as you were reading? Any thoughts, questions that you guys had before we get rolling here? We've got a few minutes yet. Here, let me read it. The whole thing, yeah. <laughs> Do we have to put an usher by you back there? Um, any You guys have any questions or thoughts as you were reading through? Of course, we're looking at the last uh, hours here uh, before the crucifixion and then the actual crucifixion. Yeah. And, and Mark is in the, the third hour. Right. And what what find yeah. out that John is probably going by the Roman calculations, which their day starts at midnight. Yeah. And the Jewish starts at, at sunrise. Correct. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's good. And understand we Uh-huh. There's so much I don't know. So. Right, yeah, right. Why is he making this statement whenever he's facing the last the last hours? I always wonder, what if they wouldn't have denied who he was? As I was reading this, you know, the ones that did that denied him. What would have happened if they would have just, you know, would everything have come to fruition? Yeah, right. Well, that's a good question. What do you think? I think probably it wouldn't have been fulfilled if, if they would, have, would not have denied him. It had to be part of the story, yeah. right? They yeah, in God's foresight, awesome. he saw that happening. Yeah. Yeah. They strike the shepherd and the sheep were scattered. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And it's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So going back to Dennis, your, your thought. So one of the things that we have to keep always in our forefront as we're looking through this is that they did not kill Jesus. He laid down his life. And um, we'll really see this when we talk about the, the, um, when he's beaten on the stripes. But so when he's making this statement, Pil- Pilate's basically you know, saying, I have the power to deliver you. Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You really don't because I'm not even, my kingdom isn't of this world but I've got authority. So basically I think what he was trying to say out of that particular verse is, is that, look, you have no right over me. I'm choosing to lay down my own, by my own power to do this, or you can't kill me. And, uh, you don't have, th- even though Pilate thought I have authority over you, Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me out of all of this. And, um, you know so i think that would be a lot of the the context of what he was talking about there it's a great it's a great question though and um excellent any other thoughts questions yes sir uh, uh, the prophecies about jesus' death was you know, the piercing of the hands the spirit side yeah Or was it just Jesus? I think well from my understanding yeah from my understanding it just depended on the attitude of the roman soldiers and they uh could be very cruel they wanted to kill him as fast as they could um you know there's some thought that he could have just been they could have just been tied up there uh there's also some thought cuz we weren't there they did all kinds of things to these guys too torture them, to torment them, you know, really, I mean, and it, we don't, because we have the mindset of what we've seen in paintings and things, but they stripped him down. I mean, he was totally stripped down hanging on that cross. They're humiliating him as much as they can as a criminal. Um, and so, you know, I think that with that, looking at what happened to these other guys, uh, it's just hard to tell how long that they, you know that asphyxiation hanging on that cross, the the up and down that they would do. Um, a lot of times they would do those nails in there because it would be in a place that um, they would not. It would not tear. They it would. It wasn't really. Uh, it was done in such a place that it would keep the. It would keep them hanging there. So I don't know. You know, it's a good. It's a good question whether it was all of them they did that to. I know some of. I know there were others in history that they did that to. Uh, He wasn't the only one that was ever pierced. Um, The side thing, that was him. That was only his situation. And they did that to test his death, that he was dead. But, um, you know, so actually uh, what happened, uh, because of the water and the blood coming out, the pericardium around there had swollen up. And so that means his heart basically exploded when it just exploded inside when he died and so that would have been when he gave up when he gave up his life his heart basically from the stress and strain of everything his heart blew inside its uh in that in that pericardium and it and it swelled up with water around it so yeah he was having congestive heart failure basically from the the pressure that was there good questions guys good thoughts So you're thinking about these passages as you uh, look at them. I just want to remind you, next week, uh, we're going to be getting into 20 and 21, wrapping it up, and then we're going to get into the book of Revelation on uh, the first week of October. And uh, so we're going to do chapter one. And uh, look, I just want to encourage you about this study in Revelation. We're not going to make it hard. We're going to make it real simplified, okay, going through it. just like we've simplified everything that we've done so far you know so I mean there's a lot of depth to the stuff we talk about in these meetings but in our studies but then there we want it to be simple so that we can walk away with it without being confused so we'll be looking at through that period of time which will take us up like what I'm going to do the plan is is that I will be done two weeks before Christmas and then we will take a break until in January next year. So because the holidays and, you know, you know, the four Christmases you got to go to and all the stuff that we're involved. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And uh, so anyways, we're busy. And so we'll be taking that time off uh, during that time. And then I'm 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 really praying about what the Lord I'm thinking about. I'm going to do a study through the prison epistles and um, we're going to get into those um, and uh, dig in in the month of January. Uh, but it'll be probably mid-January before we'll really dig into that. But those prison epistles would be uh, where he wrote to the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, and then he wrote to the uh, Galatians. And so we'll deal with those. So we would go through all of those, which would be a lot of fun. And uh, so anyways, doing two chapters a night like we've been trying to do here. So let's start with chapter 18 of the book of John. Now remember, Jesus has just finished what we would call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Sharon was teaching us last week about the prayer and what he was saying in that prayer to the Father. This was really his prayer, his high priest prayer for the church, for the future. Um, You remember back that Sharon talked to us about how we are one together, all of us, with the Lord, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Um, She took the clay and molded it together and how that was all one. Well, this is really what Jesus was trying to convey, and this is sort of like... You know, if you were thinking about, you were at your last, you know, you know you're at coming to the end. And here's what he's praying, and his disciples are hearing this prayer. And uh, he's talking to the Father for them. He's saying, look, Father, reveal yourself to them. Let them know that you love them like you love me. And, uh, you know, if you think about things that you would pray over your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren in your last hours, And we're literally in the last hours here when we come up to this place. And so um, it's pretty powerful in that context. In chapter 18 and verse 1 it says, And so when he had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, so a couple of things uh, we're going to look at here tonight that might be a little different than our thinking Uh, that we've got basically from religious teaching. But one, he probably is going into somebody's private garden here. Um, People would have private gardens that, that they would have locked basically. So probably he's going in because it just kind of the way that it lays out there that where there was a garden, he was going to a place that wasn't a specific garden. I know we say it was the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a pretty big area there that you're talking about. But there were specific gardens that were inside the Garden of Gethsemane. So more than likely, somebody has given him the opportunity to be able to be in this garden uh, by himself. They were staying there. They were actually going in there to stay there for a while. And uh, to get there, they would have to cross the brook Kidron. So Kidron, so here's Jerusalem down here. Everybody look at my hand here. And I know you've got those maps. So Jerusalem's down here, right? And right next to it, on the north, uh, right in the north part of it, here is the Kidron Valley. Now, if you read in the Bible, the Kidron Valley was real popular because of that. A lot of the idols were destroyed there. Um, it was right off the top of the mountain, and and uh, so they destroyed all kinds of idol worship stuff that was taken down there and destroyed. But what's really awesome about, if you go back in history and you study that about Kidron, that this is during the Passover, okay? So they're, getting, they're in the temple sacrificing the sheep for the Passover. Now the rules for the Passover are that for one sheep for Passover, there has to be ten people that eat, that, that are taking part in the Passover. So that was the rule, the, Jude, the Jude, Judaic law was that there would be 10 people that would have to eat the Passover meal together. It couldn't be less than 10. That was just the way that they, that's the way that they ruled it. And at this time, around this time, the Romans have decided that they want to figure out how many people are coming to Jerusalem. But if you know anything about the Jews, when com- they don't like to be numbered, so they don't want to be numbered. They got in tr- remember David got into trouble because he numbered Israel? So they don't want to be numbered. So the way they figure out how many people are coming to Passover is is that they're going to calculate how many sheep are being sacrificed, okay? How many sheep are coming in. So what they figured out, and this is from a guy by the name of Josephus. Anybody heard of that name before? So Josephus was not a Christian, he was a historian that wrote for the Jews. And so he is recording all of this information. And so uh he's got what's called the book of Josephus, which is very very long and a lot of it's very very historical and some of it's extremely boring. So, I mean, you know, as you get into it, but there are little things you can learn in it. But he wrote about how that they wanted to figure out how many sheep. So the Romans calculated how many sheep were actually coming in and they figured up that there was 256,000 sheep killed at the Passover. All right, two hundred and fifty six thousand, so because of that, they know that coming to Jerusalem was two and a half million people because there's ten per sheep, right Now, I want you to think about this. Have you ever watched an animal that's been sacri- that's been that's being butchered, there's a lot of blood that comes out of that animal I mean they would not the Jews would not take the Passover with the blood in the animal so they had to bleed it you know just like you hang deer bleed out the deer they have to bleed out these sheep they cut them a certain way so that all the blood would run out well think about it 256,000 sheep and all that blood that's running out where's it all going well i'll tell you where it's going it's going down into the kidron valley and it's going down to the brook of Kidron, and I want you to just think about this, this incredible imagery that's happening here. John is the only one that writes about this. They crossed the Kidron, the brook Kidron, which would have been red from the blood that was flowing from the temple from all of the sacri- from the 256,000 sheep that were being butchered up there. They had uh, like aqueducts, I think is what you call it, or yeah. conduits that they made. So that blood would all flow down into that water. And of course, if it goes into Kidron, the Brook Kidron, then it would flow out into the Jordan and then eventually down into the Dead Sea. So there, the, this, whole, this whole imagery really ties into the whole idea about Jesus that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. That's what John prophesied about him. All that blood is running. And they're, as they're getting ready to cross over to this garden, all that blood that would be in that water, would be. It, first of all, it would probably stink, right? I mean, that would smell for sure. But they're crossing over and they're going in and they're going into this. It's just to me an extremely touching moment because He is our Lamb of God. And all that blood that was shed could not take away the sins of the people but his blood would take away the sense of the people. So, it says that they went into this garden and his disciples entered and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. That's why we think it might have been a you know somebody's garden because it was a special place that they went to, so probably he had permission to be in that place. So, Jesus or Judas, excuse me, having received a detachment of troops and officers, from the chief priests and pharisees came there with lanterns torches and weapons now if you write in your bible I want you to underline uh, a detachment of troops okay because uh, you know most of us like even if you sell, which i thought was pretty incredible mel gibson's um, the passion of christ they still only show like five soldiers coming in to get jesus with judas right yeah. and most of them that you see well a detachment of sho- soldiers uh, that in, according, to the, according to the Roman contingent, it was known as a cohort, it would have been 650 men that would have came to get Jesus. Alright, so 650 men, now it could have been less than that, it could have been more than that. Because sometimes a cohort or a contingent uh, was a thousand men comprised of 270 cavalrymen plus the footmen. So it could have been or it could have been less than that. It could have been just two hundred men. It was absolutely not less than two hundred men that came to get him and there's and it's really interesting here because as you look at this, it says that Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons they're coming to fight, they're coming to do. This is, they're expecting a battle when they get there, right? So they're all ready to go in, you know, to go into this fight. Jesus, therefore, knowing everything that would come upon him. So now he's already prepped. He knows what's coming. Went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now, if you look at that, the word he is in italics. That is not actually in the text. So when they add italics like that, they're just trying to define the text. What he said is, I am. I am. Jehovah. I am. Yahweh. Man, I'm telling you. And here's what happened. So he says that, and as soon as he says it, um, it they back up. He, he, goes, he says, I am. They drew back and they fell on the ground. Now, there are some that say that they were all slain in the spirit. I don't know if they were slain in the spirit. I don't know what happened. All I know is, is that as soon as he said, I am, they all fell on the ground. Now, if he wanted out, there was his out right there, right? I mean, that would be the time to run when, you're at when these guys are on the ground. But he didn't run. He said, I am. They drew back, fell to the ground, and he asked them again, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, so that's, what did he do here? That's three times he said, I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be filled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So he's not going to let Peter get in the way. Now, just as a note here, and you probably read this already. Malchus, some of Malchus's family shows up at the fireside when Jesus is being on trial. And they recognize that Peter's the guy that cut off the ear of Malchus. And so they're going to call him out on it. And he, of course, goes, I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about it. So... Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, this is really important, too, as you look at all of this, that Anna, Annas here is actually running the show. Okay, uh, Caiaphas is put in by the Romans, but Annas is the one that's, he's the father-in-law, and he is a wicked high priest. Annas, Annas is a wicked high priest. He actually, he would have, he corrupted the priesthood in the temple. This is what, when and, and I was reading about this, how that he had, um, because he controlled the booths at the, you know, the selling of the, the animals in the temple. So let's say Dan, he goes and buys out on the market a bird to take up to sacrifice. Annas had coached all of the priests that when 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 they bring a bird that they did not buy here inside the temple, you look at it and say it's got a blemish, and you got to buy one of these over here. Okay, wicked. it's wicked. Yeah, he was a corrupt. He was a corrupt high priest. And even though Caiaphas is the lead guy here uh, by by the political movement, Caiaphas is not the one who's in charge his father-in-law is making all the decisions and he's a wicked guy. And so he's is he got all of this corrupted, the priesthood corrupted. And this kind of helps us understand a little bit why Jesus was so aggravated when he went in and started turning tables over because he knew what was going on here that they were basically telling the people, they were lying to the people and telling them, no, your sacrifice is blemished so you have to buy one of our sheep over here or you have to buy a, a bird over here. And they, of course, jacked the prices up right that's not free enterprise okay that's that's robbery and uh, so they're thieving off of these people and uh, getting their animals from them and so Annas is all behind this now you'll remember that Caiaphas we have heard him speak before here in John where he said that it was good that one would suffer for all. Remember that he made that statement. That it he said it would be good that one would suffer for all of the peop, right? For all of the people. So Caiaphas has spoken before, but he's really a puppet under his father-in-law, who's really running the show. Who is still an extremely wicked and uh, e- an evil leader. All right. So he goes on, he says, now it was Caiaphas, and I just mentioned this, who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Of course, that's John. John's not, John doesn't want to reference himself, so he just always is like, the one that Jesus loved, or another disciple... Or this guy that I know, you know, right? He doesn't want to say it's him, but he says, "Then another disciple, now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So John is there. And Peter stood at the door outside, and the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door, and he was able to bring Peter in. The servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am Not, Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them, and he warmed himself. Then the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me. What I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Alright, so why is this important? Because under the Jewish law, they are not allowed to question Jesus about, they're only allowed to question the witnesses. So they had like what we would have, like a Fifth Amendment, okay? So that means that certain things that you can't do. So under Jewish law, the Romans would talk to, you know, would it inter- would talk to the would talk to the witness. But the Jews were not allowed. They had to listen to the witnesses, what the witnesses would say, and the, the they bring no wit. They later on bring witnesses, but they're questioning Jesus, and so that's why he's saying to them, "You're not. Why are you asking me? You know you're not supposed to do it. This is illegal. What you're doing, okay? This is illegal. The way that you're doing this, I have spoke o- openly. Everybody has heard me talk." Ask those guys. You know that's the law, anyways. That's what you're supposed to do, and uh, of course they violate all of that. You know the whole thing was a whole sh- the whole thing was a sham. They they violated like all. They even brought liars in to lie um, later on. And um, but the legal thing to do here would have been to talk to the witnesses, not to Jesus Himself. Okay. All right. So he said, "Ask them which heard me." Bring forth your witnesses. That's the legal thing to do. Those who heard me, let them tell you. All right. So they don't do it, obviously. So Jesus ends up, uh, they they get upset. Verse 22, And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by (laughs) struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered, If I have spoken evil, you bear witness of the evil. But if well, why did you strike me? So, you know, in reading this, without knowing that about how their law was set up, it would be hard for us because we'd be like, Well, what did he say wrong? I mean, what did he really say wrong? I mean, he wasn't being sarcastic. He's actually saying, You've got to do this according to the law. And you're not doing it according to the law. So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Which we do not see anything about Caiaphas in this, in John, his dealing with Jesus at this point. Some of the other gospels do mention some of it, but when Annas made his declaration, it's a done deal as far as as far as it's Caiaphas is going to do what he's a puppet. He's going to do whatever his father-in-law says to do at this point. So now Simon Peter stood and he warmed himself. Therefore they said to him. You're not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So that's very well known. We, we, most of you would know that, what happened there. So they laid him to, from Caiaphas to the praetorium. It's early morning. The Jews cannot go into the praetorium. One, it's during the Passover, so they can't go in. They can go to, near it, but they would get Pilate to come out to talk to them. They will not go in there because it would defile them being with the Gentiles. And so they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but they that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. We would not have delivered him up to you. And Pilate said to him, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So, historically, and according to the Talmud, the Romans, three years prior to Jesus being brought on trial here, had taken away the Jews' ability to put anybody to death, all right? And they were, back then, they basically, they threw a fit because they felt the capital punishment, you know, that was, you know, in their law, there were violations that capital punishment was the end of that law, right? So if you're a false prophet, we stone you. If you're an adulterer, we stone you. If we, uh, they took all that away. So the Roman, they're right in saying this, and this happened, and I think it's just it's because Jesus would have been stoned had they not taken that away from them, right? They wanted him dead, but they could not kill him. Roman law would not permit them to kill, to kill Jesus. And so um, that had been taken away. So the right to capital punishment. So what happens? Uh, Pilate decides that he'll says, all right, well, I'll just have him scourged then. And you know when we think about and him being scourged and 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 being beaten, um, under under the rule of the Romans, forty was the number of judgment, thirty nine was the judge number for mercy. But when we when you think about the, cruci- the 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 scourging, and I think this is what religion does in our thinking, the scourging that was happening was to get Jesus to confess to the sin that he had committed. That's why they beat him like they did. And that's why they beat anybody, they scourged anybody. They would continue to whip them until they would cry out and say, I did it, All right? I I stole this, I... So there's a good possibility the thieves that were there also had been beaten, but... Jesus is being beaten, and you know, I, I'm not going to go into all the details because most of you know about the cat and nine tails and the shards of bone and metal that were in it and that tore his body to shreds. But it was, it was them tearing his body to shreds to get him to confess. That's, all, that's what that's about, all right? It wasn't just to be cruel, though it was cruel. It was, that's how they got people to tell. If they tortured him long enough, they would confess to anything, Now I want you to think about how powerful this is for you and I. Isaiah 53.7 says, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why didn't he open his mouth? Because he didn't do anything, right? What could he confess to? And there were people, they would confess to stuff that they hadn't even done just to get the pain to stop to get it over with. He confessed to nothing because there was nothing to confess to. And he endured all of that and the the Bible tells us and it's so powerful um in the book of Matthew 8:17 that it's by his stripes that it's that he carried away our sicknesses and he bore our diseases and it tells us in Isaiah 53 uh, verse 5 that it's by his stripes that we are healed because he held true He held true for you and me so that we could be free. He never cried out. I mean, it just, it just blows me away. That kind of love that God has for us. That he endured all of that and never said a word. Never said a word. And it was for you and it was for me. And it's by his stripes that we're healed. We're brought into, we're, we're able to receive the blessing. Somebody, uh, there were 39 stripes, obviously, and that would have been a representative of mercy. Judgment would have been the last one. They believed at 40, you would die. If you had 40 stripes, you would die, basically. You had been beaten so bad. He went to 39, which people could live past. People had lived past that before. But... Uh, a medical doctor one time sat down and actually did a study into this and found out that there are 39 different categories of diseases, right. and that Jesus bore a stripe for every disease that mankind would deal with physically. Everything that comes your body, not just huh? Everything that, comes- Everything that would come against your body, yeah. So all sickness. So about 15 years ago. Right. So he bore our sicknesses and he carried away our diseases. Yeah, so it was covered under his sacrifice, what he bore at the whipping post. So Pilate scourges him to get him to confess. That's why he scourged him. He didn't just scourge him because he's like, well, let's just do this and see if that's enough. Let's see, if we can get this guy to confess to something. He confessed to nothing because he didn't do anything. It's interesting too, you know, because the story about Barabbas is right before this. I was, you know, just highlight this. It's believed in history that the when they would crucify someone that the person that they the cruelty of the romans was you had to make your own cross you had to they would actually have to make their own cross before they would be crucified so they would crucify you on the cross that you would have to make so you would take the wood and you would have to be the one to get it all ready and then you would carry that that you had made all the way it's believed in history that jesus carried barabbas's cross up the mountain up to the up to the the golgotha you think how powerful that is. Barabbas gets a pass, and Jesus bears the cross that Barabbas should have taken and should have been crucified on. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, it doesn't matter because it isn't going to change anything, right, whether it was or it wasn't. But it's pretty powerful. Somewhere that cross came from, right? right? and uh, it was already there and uh, Jesus had to carry it and it wasn't a light cross it wasn't a light even if it was just the one beam that he carried we don't know for a fact but if it was just the beam of the cross that he had to carry to up to the mount it was still a lot of weight to carry for a long for a long distance how much is that uh, one that you lift at home that wood uh the heavy wood thing that you have with the handles in it oh, that long? yeah 220 pounds. So you think about carrying something like that. A, it's like a railroad tie. Yeah, it's like carrying a railroad tie all the way up. He's got to carry it all the way through Jerusalem from the Praetorium all the way out to the mount where he's going to be, up to the mountain, Golgotha, where he's going to be crucified at. So that's why he eventually, just from being beaten and the exhaustion of it all, he can't even go forward anymore. And they get Simon and Cyrene to actually carry that beam for him. But uh, that's a lot of weight. If you've never carried two hundred twenty pounds or however much, you know, a, a mile, let's say, yeah, it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot for anybody to to be able to deal with, even the strongest among us. So, and they're hardwood, so it'd be really heavy, right? Yeah, good point. So he goes the verse one. So then Pilate took Jesus, scourged him, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and uh, they put on him a, a purple robe, and they said, "Hail, King of the Jews." They struck him with their hands. Uh, Pilate then went out again and said to them, "Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him." And you know it's interesting too, you've got to go to a couple of the other gospel accounts of this, but when he was with Caiaphas, they would actually they were beating him and uh, pulling his beard. And that what they would do, the Jews would do, is they would put a sack over top of their head and then they would punch him inside that sack. Now, you know, you can take you can take more when you see it coming because you'll flinch back at it, right? But if you can't see it coming, you're going to take the full brunt of whatever's happening. And so when Jesus is being punched, he's got a bag over, he's got a sack over his head and they're just wailing away on him and so he's pretty beat up at this point now we're over here where they're they're smacking him again. I mean, he's already bruised and battered. So you know the Bible says, "Look, his appearance was so marred we wouldn't rec- he, he was unrecognizable. the beating uh that he took. Pilate then went out again and said to them, "Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him." Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, "'Behold the man.' Therefore when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, "'Crucify him, crucify him.' And Pilate said to him, "'You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him.' And the Jews answered, "'We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God.' Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not answer him. And Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Speaks against Caesar. Absolutely, they're manipulating the situation. And so, just kind of understanding of how this all played out, Herod was in charge in Israel when Jesus was born, right? You remember that? Herod, he was nuts, basically. And uh, he had demons. His mind was totally distorted. And he had all those babies killed. Do you remember that? Because he was afraid of the Messiah coming. And and, uh, when he's dying, he gives his kingdom. He splits up uh, uh, Israel in three kingdoms. And he puts one of his sons in each of those. Well, his one son that he puts over Jerusalem, he's so greedy that he begins to tax the people at such a high level that... The people cry out to Rome and say, "We want to. We want to come under your governance." All right. So Rome is not doesn't have a leader in every area. This is over this particular Jerusalem area, and so they put they put uh, Rome assigns Pilate over that area. Pilate does not live in Jerusalem. He lives in Caesarea Philippi, um, and uh, but he would have come to Jerusalem because when these feasts were going on was when the riots would break out basically because all the people were together. So um, so that's why he's there. That's why Pilate is there. That's why he is in uh, authority there. And uh, so it says that, um, where do we drop off at here? Yeah, thank you. So when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew called Gabatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to Jesus, the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. That is an abomination right there for them to say that. Okay. That is a absolute. They have submitted themselves to the Gentiles at that point And that under their law. That would have been a total abomination for them to say that, okay? But they don't care. And Pilate's not, look, he knows what's going on here. He's not clueless to what's happening. I think he, you know, when he had Jesus scourged, he probably was hoping that he would confess to something, but he confessed to nothing. That's even making this more difficult. Verse 16, they delivered him, he delivered them to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and they led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the Place of a Skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and, Latin. and I think that is that is the Spirit of God moving on Pilate to do this. It's an intentional thing. It's all peoples at that time. Of course, the Jews throw a fit, say, so take it down. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. And it's really a slam towards the Jews, right? Because they want him dead. Pilate knows what's going on with them. So he's just really just giving them grief in the end. So the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to each a soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. All right. Now we're dealing with, with Jesus' mother. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples, the disciple whom he loved, that's that's John again, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. So Jesus made sure that in the end his mom would be taken, you know, this... For her, Joseph is gone, right? And so he's making sure that Mary is taken care of through John. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. I forget, the other gospels tell us there was some kind of mixture in it. What was it? Huh myrrh. myrrh. So it had a numbing effect, so it helped them to deal somewhat with the, you know the pain that he w- they would be dealing with. but uh, initially Jesus refused it, and then in the end, he, they put the sour, put it up there on the hyssop, put it to his mouth. and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished," and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Notice here, he gave up his spirit, not they killed him. Or he died. He did not die. He gave up his spirit. The words that are used here for finish is the Greek word teleo, meaning it is accomplished or it is all paid for. God's work is complete. Um, What Jesus did was he made a declaration before he gave up his spirit. Everything that needed to be taken care of on this side has been taken care of now. The sacrifice has been paid. The sacrifice. He has fulfilled everything. Therefore, because it was a preparation day, that the body should not be remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. And, uh, high day. So in the Sabbath, the high days are days that surround the Sabbath. Because it could confuse you on how many days are happening here, the Sabbath. It's, it's actually, this is happening on a high day, which could be before the Sabbath, all right? And, uh, and probably is, so that would time it out exactly right for three days and three nights. And uh, so that's the way the Jews looked at the high. It was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus and saw he was already dead, dead they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. That pericardium was pierced, and uh, the water and blood poured out, As and, and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. So notice how many times John, yeah, okay guys, I saw it, and it's true, and this is the truth, okay? I'm not lying here, I'm telling you the truth, so that you can believe, for these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. And that's really key if you're writing in your Bible, underline that particular phrase that the scripture should be fulfilled and it was completely fulfilled not one of his bones shall be broken and again another scripture says and they shall look on him whom they pierced after this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So they, there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. And nobody, but nobody is expecting jesus to come back they think it's over this is it and uh... it's so powerful you know as you look at all of the things that were fulfilled by jesus all of the things that were taking place when it had to happen that he's the he's the passover lamb that takes away the sin of the the whole world that he provides that opportunity that all who call on his name can be saved all No matter who they are, where they are, what they've done, what they've been involved in, if they'll call on Him, He will save them. He will come into their lives and they can become born again. And so uh, as we read this and as, as as we get towards the end of this, looking at next week we'll talk about the empty tomb and what happened there, and then of course what took place after that with the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. But uh, it's so powerful, all of these fulfilling things that took place through Jesus. And what's so powerful about it is he did it for you. Right. He didn't cry out any sin when he was on that whipping post. He was doing that for you. He did that for me. And, uh, you know, how can we look? People Sometimes it's funny about people, you know, they say, well, you know, we need to be careful telling people, you know, about, Salvation, because they could like start believing that no matter what they do because of grace, they're going to, you know, they can, they'll be forgiven. And so they'll go out and sin. All right. Here's the thing. If you really understand what Jesus went through, you won't even want to sin. Why would you want to go against when such a high price has been paid for our lives, for our spiritual lives so that we could be born again and our names could be written in the Lamb's book of life? that we could actually receive the Holy Spirit from the Father through Jesus Christ and all that's been provided for us, why would we want to do anything to go against that? Now you understand the disciples, how they live their lives. They're about to experience the biggest surprise of their lives. The biggest surprise of their lives. Because they all think it's over. Even the women that went to the tomb that morning, they thought it was oh, they're just taking more, you know, to do. It. They figured he was smelling pretty bad by then. They're totally shocked, and uh, so we'll talk next week about the resurrection and what all of that means for us. But but uh, I hope that uh, I hope this has helped you just to kind of see in that, you know, when you think about that Brook Kidron, how all of that blood that was running down. From Jerusalem of all that 256,000 sheep that are being sacrificed for the for the all the millions of people that are come into Jerusalem uh, to to sacrifice for. I mean, it was it was a crazy time in Jerusalem, you know, that's think about, you know, the population of Jerusalem. Let's say it was a, a million people in Jerusalem at that time. And then all of a sudden there's another two and a half million people that come in. And they're staying in the streets and with their relatives and in all the rooms. And they're everywhere. People are everywhere. And they're all coming to the temple because they're all going to take of the Passover. They're all going to have their Passover meals. And uh, just how powerful that is. Yes, ma'am. Did they all have a Passover at the same time? Because Jesus had celebrated Passover the hmm. But the Jews did not the a Yeah. So there would be days of the Passover. There would be different parts of the celebration that they would do. That's a great question, though, huh? It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yeah, So there would have been different. Yeah, it would have been a period of time. That's why that high. That's why that can get confusing about those high days. So there was a lot more going on than just like the one meal. It would have been several types of meals that they would have had you know and of course the one in which you guys probably have all heard this before but Jesus took the cup at the table which was the cup of Elijah and uh, said this is my blood nobody ever drank from that that was reserved for the that was reserved for the for Elijah and Jesus basically let them all know that I am I'm the pro. I'm what you're looking for and the Jews just remember the water, killing, right? yeah Yep. you know, and see isn't that isn't that something? I mean, you know, if if we understand the Jewish law and the rules that they had to follow, you know, like I said, you know, in their their system, the Romans would talk to the guy, you had to defend yourself to the, in the Roman, you know. So you, you presented your case, basically, and that's why Pilate's questioning. The Jews, they could not do that. It was illegal for them to question the one on trial, they had to question the witness. And instead, they violate their whole law and start questioning Jesus. So he had every right to give him grief about it. You're not following your own rules, guys. They didn't care at that point, though. They're ready to kill him, right? Amen. Let's all stand up.